Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for joining for this latest episode of Bold Leaders in Learning. And I'm delighted to have one of my great friends, Nancy Lee Sanchez, with me. She's the executive director of the Kaplan Educational Foundation. And uh, Nancy, uh, I, this is probably going to be my favorite conversation because uh, I just I love you. I love your energy. I love the students you get to work with. Uh, I mean, you've got one of the best jobs in the world. It's not an easy job. It's a very hard job. But why don't you just start and tell people what you do at the Kaplan Educational Foundation and then tell us a little bit about the students that you get to work with and, and support in their, in their journey for life and education. Sure. Brandon, thank you for having me. I'm so excited uh, to be here um, and to really to have the opportunity to share with everyone what we do at the Kaplan Educational Foundation. Um, we started in 2006, so we've been around for a little while, and we work with um, students from historically underrepresented backgrounds. We proudly serve um, or focus in the Latino and African American community. And our goal is to create leaders by bringing students from community colleges to selected four-year institutions that would really support them to make sure that they have the skills, that they have uh, uh, in the support to really be successful in their careers, um, academically and beyond. And so that's what we do. Our students are amazing. Uh, they are highly successful. 96% of them graduate from top four-year institutions. And uh, they are uh, dedicated to resolving the world's issues from health uh, to uh, educational engineers, law. And so we are proud of them. We are very proud of them. <laughs> it, it would. Uh, I know I've gotten a chance to meet a number of the scholars, and they're they're just truly remarkable. And you know, you you think about you know the backdrop of uh, employers who are desperate, for example, to improve their diversity pipeline, uh, all still struggling mightily with that. Colleges and universities who make it a big part of their mission to recruit diverse student bodies and are still struggling mightily with that. Um, you know, tell me just a, a little bit about the, the ways in which you identify these students and then support these students, because one of the one of the I mean, I guess there's there's several magical ingredients of, of what you do, but a lot of it's the, the various support services that are part of the community and and the network that, that you kind of build around this. So I think it would be helpful for folks mm. just to hear here you know, a few examples of that. And uh, and then, you know, I'd love to talk about, you know, how how things are going in the middle of this disruption. So let's let's start first with just a little bit more about how you're supporting this community, how you identify these students, because the world is struggling to figure this out and you've, you've kind of found a formula here. Yes, and so just like the, the uh, top uh, four-year institution or any institution that knows that diversity is something that they would benefit from, that a classroom that is diverse is a classroom where you will have many answers that really provide a full range of issues globally, the same thing with companies. So let's make sure that I just always like to remind everyone that diversity is something that if you invest in, it will give you so many returns because it will give you a perspective on world issues and in depth of understanding on how to navigate markets and also how to truly bring products as well as information widely. Um, 
So it very in, in the in the same way that four-year institutions or companies uh, would do it, we go to community colleges, or at least in the way that we want to encourage these institutions to do it. So we work very closely with what we call champions in at, at community colleges, and these are people that are committed to bringing their students through their associate's degree and into uh, the next phase of their lives. It may be, for example, a four-year degree, it may be training, it may be a job. And so what we have found is that the people that are found that, that are there, it may be a dean of admissions, but it may also be an academic advisor or a faculty advisor, it may be a Phi Theta Kappa advisor, and so which is the Honor Society of Community Colleges. And what we do, we recognize that to build equity, right, to make sure that those students have what they need to make it to the next phase, that they may need some financial support because the likelihood is that they're attending school full-time. They often are working full-time. Many of them are responsible for households. And so we provide them some type of financial support. And I know of many programs or companies that are doing that, that are targeting community college students, and then say, let me support you financially so that you can also reduce your hours at work and really devote yourself to developing your skills. And so that's what we do. We also provide leadership training um, based on current events, as well as bringing people like you, Brandon, um, to speak to them about how it is that you develop your own skill set, your own trajectory. And we do that because we feel like our students need to see themselves in other people who are leading. And what happens is that if you're working and if you are surviving, oftentimes you do not have that. However, we also help them to um, value their own identity and to understand that they are resilient, that they are hardworking folks, that they should be proud of who they are, that they should know their history, that they should really go into any class setting willing to put their whole identity at the table. And so, and to feel like they can argue for those different parts of identities. And so that's something that we also do. Um, in addition to that, we work with them to identify at least 10 transfer schools. Uh, meaning dream big, it's our uh, motto, yeah. and they dream big. Yeah. Uh, and they look at those schools and figure out what is the best school to transfer. We take them on visits, we support them through that process, and then they select the school, and we're a lifetime program. So we even read contracts as to what is the best job offer, and let's figure out how you will accept that or demand more. <laughs> That's awesome, Nancy. We've already got a couple of great questions, and I know we you can address this now or later because I know we're going to get to it in some mm -hmm. form. But uh, you know, Mark asked a question about how can four-year colleges do a better job promoting greater numbers of transfer from two-year colleges, right? And uh, and then Beth mm -hmm. uh, Zelensky is asking about uh, talking about addressing some of the unique needs of community college transfers, and then how those also potentially turn into strengths at the four-year institution and beyond. So. I'm going to go ahead and throw those at you now because they're yeah. they're from our audience and uh, I'd love to get a few of those on, on the board quick. So for, for four-year institutions, and, and this is to address Mark's question, you, you, you have to build community with the community college, meaning uh, the students oftentimes, for you to pitch a big job or attending a four-year school, um, you have to make sure that you go to that institution and build a network with those people that serve those students. You also have to make sure that you provide the resources for those students to go and see that school. You cannot see yourself 
as the savior, right? You cannot put yourself as, oh, you want to attend, you know, everybody wants to attend this school. No, not really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, these students bring talent. These these students are resilient, which also addresses best question. These students have the skills that you want. And so you should work to earn their interest. You should work to really show them how that school is going to make them successful and also why they are a valuable asset to them. We work very closely to our students to develop that perspective. Because from that place of power, you are able to make the best decisions. It's not that they go in saying, you you know, I am the last thing, you know, but what they do say is, I want to be part of a classroom where I will bring in my own story. And so that's important. Another thing that four-year institutions can do is waive fees and make people aware. If I had it within me, yeah. I would do a campaign of, did you know you do not have to pay to apply to the school? If you charge $75 for application, for transfer application, and you do not tell them that it could be waived, waiving it is not enough. You have to tell people that. You have to say that. And so that's important as well. You also have to make people aware that you have financial aid and explain that. Meaning if I see that your school is worth 40,000, 60,000, 65,000, I will probably not consider, I didn't consider it. As you know, I attended community college. And the reason why I did not apply to many schools, there were many, but one was that I was told there were fees. I just didn't have the money. And um, 75, at that time it was 50 or $40. I just couldn't afford it. And so I didn't even allow myself the opportunity to consider schools. But I think that that's really, really valuable. Yeah, you've, I, I love your, your, your phrasing of, you've got to build community with these community colleges, right? It's not <laughs> as simple as you know, standing on the high mountain and saying, look what I have to offer. I, I, I like very much how you framed it. I think that's a, that's a mindset shift <laughs> that you know, higher ed probably needs to you know, get, it, get itself over. You know, let's, let's talk a little bit about you know, the, the concerns for you know, the, the students in general who are struggling with all the disruptions with COVID-19, in particular, you know, the kind of students that, that you're trying to support, um, almost all of them first-generation students, right? Just walk us through some of the stories. You were telling me some mm -hmm. incredible, incredible challenges and unique perspectives that you're trying to support them through. Just take us into the world of your students during this COVID-19 disruption. Sure. You know, this has been very tough. Uh, we, we, uh, we are based out of New York City. Um, and one of the things that um, students started getting notices in March that they needed to leave campus. And um, so we have many students that are attending community colleges in New York City. And then we have a second, uh, other cohorts that are attending schools in four-year institutions and also abroad. So we were looking to address all of those challenges. And Brendan, what really became obvious to me that um, four-year schools, many four-year schools where students were living on campus did not really understand the complexity and uh, what is the panic that it sets in when you say we're shutting down this dorm for a student that has very limited resources. And by limit re limited resources, it's not just financial. It's just what are the logistics? Where do I store my stuff? Yeah. Where, what do I do with my stuff? Um, 
how do I call home if my room has already been rented out to someone or if my room where there is a multi-generation has already been given to someone else, right? I, um, I always yeah. um, struggle when I see uh, people online speaking about um, COVID and they have many, many rooms and they're like, you can just, you know, find an area to study. For our students, that's, that's not a reality for many of them. Yeah. And I always like to say, their parents, their networks want them to study just as much as anybody else. This is not students who come home and people are saying, you know, oh, you know, there's no value to education. That's not true. It's just that there are limitations within that household to be able to create an environment where you can have consistent Wi-Fi. I always say if we, right. if we purchase laptops for our scholars, uh, it becomes a communal laptop once they get home, right? Right. right. Our students use libraries, not because they want to just socialize, but because oftentimes is the only place where they can get internet. Uh, I'll give you a story. I have a student right now who the other day I was talking to and said, Nancy, I'm, I'm using Wi-Fi from McDonald's. Hmm. And I'm like, are you in McDonald's? No, it was just that they live enough to McDonald's, close enough to McDonald's to use their Wi-Fi. Just think about that. Yeah. For you to have classwork, for you to want to continue to connect with your friends, for you to see in the news of people doing everything online, and for you to, to have to be at a particular place in your home where you can get McDonald's Wi-Fi. These are not the challenges of most of those students that left those four-year institutions. I also, uh, and I know many of our students are watching and I asked them if I could share this. Um, but we've also had three of our students have lost their parent as a result of COVID. That loss is a loss that I, I can't imagine because as you know, this is the kind of loss where you cannot be close to your loved ones, you cannot be near them. And um, sometimes in that you get lost. It's like, what is the value of my education? What am I going to do with this degree? Why am I even doing this? I should just go out and try to work and, and help my family or the reverse, right? Or somewhere in the middle where you're like, I'm so happy I, I'm, I'm pursuing my education, I'm making them proud. At the end of the day, the loss of a life, it's really huge in the life of anyone, especially a student that has to sit there and focus in their studies and continue to pursue dreams. Our students are from low-income backgrounds and most of their parents are essential workers. Um, so just consider that, that every day there's somebody coming into your house who has been working all of these hours and you have to study and you have to sit there. Again, this is not unique to our students. This is happening nationwide. But these challenges present an opportunity for our students to also think about. And this is the brilliance of community college students. Mm -hmm. They're so scrappy. Even in that pain, they're like, when I get this degree, I want to make sure that there is enough, there are enough resources for my community. But going back to that, you have to show them who their community is and to build that. And so that's what we do. And our students have somehow maneuvered this crisis by focusing on their education and how they will use it to make sure that if this were to happen again, first of all, can we avoid it? But what role am I going to play? What role am I going to play as a, as a woman, as a woman of color, as an Afro-Latina, what am I going to do in the future? 
And those are the things that our students are working on. There's nothing like finding inspiration within yourself. There's really nothing like it. Oh, it's, 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 an, it's incredible to hear some of those examples and stories, Nancy. And I, you know, I can't even begin to imagine what some of those students are dealing with. Uh, I mean, I think it, it, it probably sends a, a, a real important reminder to most of us who are on this LinkedIn Live discussion right now that uh, in the grand scheme of things, we probably have nothing to complain about. And, uh, mm. you know, it just, um, uh, it, it's incredible. And I know the support that, that you provided the community built. You were telling me one of the examples that I thought was really neat. You guys are doing lunch hours together on Zoom <laughs> and, you, and you organized a, an exercise class together too. I mean, like these are the things that you're doing right now, you know, uh, that's just, it's just really heartwarming to hear how you're, you know, how you're maintaining that community, even in this distancing time. Yeah. And I would say, you know, as we are thinking about how do we help our students through this process and through this crisis, uh, and I would advise this to anyone. Um, and that is that, um, creating a space, of building community, it's it's really important, and we hear that word a lot. Um, but to really kind of stack it with providing a, an opportunity for students to remain healthy, living on campus or being or traveling to campus, even for commuter students, allows you to move around and do all of these things. Our students were not doing that, and so we do have someone who joins us twice a week to do a yoga class in one uh, <laughs> cardio class that I am. Um, struggling through, at least, <laughs> but that's another story. Another thing that we have done is that we have a chat and chew, which is we create a almost a cafeteria experience where you can just pop in in the same way that you would do it in a cafeteria and say, hey, have you seen John? I haven't heard from him. Or did you hear John got accepted to Brown University? <laughs> and so we create those spaces. It's always staffed by one of us or you know, in, in the team. Um, and another part of it is that we have developed a, an identity uh, workshop to help our students understand their role as leaders and what it is that they bring to the table of diversity and how hopefully that will help them develop a sense of uh, focus in how they are going to intervene to make sure that whether they are doctors, whether they are teachers, whether they are stockbrokers, whatever, pick it that they will understand how they can use that to help their community, however it is that they identify. Yeah, I was thinking I might I might want to join that exercise class, but the way you've been talking <laughs> about do it, it, I don't know that I'm cut out for it either. So uh, Don't do it. Don't, don't, don't do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's just awesome. It's great to hear. And um, for those of you who are just joining us, I'm, I'm talking with Nancy Sanchez, who's the executive director of Kaplan Educational Foundation, which supports identifying uh, brilliant community college students and, and helping them get into uh, top tier four year institutions and pursue their dreams. Uh, it's great to see a bunch of you on with us, uh, Ying Lu and Michael Williams and Michelle Lavelle. Uh, thank you all for joining. So Nancy, I have to say, uh, you know, we, as you know, the two of us know, we both write uh, for Forbes frequently as contributors. And I continue to be uh, just amazed at how many readers you had on your one particular article mm -hmm. that I think now I, I checked the stats recently is like well over 300,000 views, yes. which is more <laughs> than all my articles combined. So I'm very jealous. <laughs> but in any event, tell us about that article. That article went everywhere. And it's a segue to mm -hmm. what four-year institutions mm -hmm. can start to think about as a real strategy to fill the holes in their enrollment strategy this year. 
right? Uh, is that, you know, community college transfer students are an incredible resource to be thinking about. So anyway, tell us about that article, sure. uh, some of the points that were in that, and then let's, let's talk about how community college students can help four-year institutions. Sure. So that article was based on, and I'm so I'm so glad you brought that up. I um, uh, have to check those stats, <laughs> but but you know the article is really based on research conducted by the Jack and Cook Foundation, a foundation that also supports community college students from two year to four year, and their call, like ours, has been to really that students from community college can make it anywhere. They can, do, they can make it anywhere. Do not look at a community college degree as a demarker or as, uh, as something that says the student was less than. Their entry into higher education started in a community college and that experience alone demonstrates that the students has resiliency, academic excellence, and also is able to participate in extracurricular as well as other things that many four-year selective schools are looking for, but also that employers are looking for, team players, people that accept, you know, that will never give up, that will always show up. And so the article, what I wrote about was that uh, this little secret that the research found out that community college students, transfer students actually do better than um, high school to four-year institutions. I feel like that's mind-blowing, right? It is. It's it mind-blowing. We've all, uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm a ESL learner, and I remember, I think, the concept of community college is the concept that I learned in my language development. And I remember always hearing, like, the jokes around community colleges, like, you know, like, all you have to do is show up, and we've all heard them. We've heard that of online education. We've heard that of all of that, right? But the joke is on them. Because the reality is that these, it's not just about being scrappy. It's just that the value of education for someone is so important that they are willing to sacrifice. Yeah. And I would say that that sacrifice that a 22-year-old makes with one child or that that person that is a blue-collar worker goes to school work goes to school at night and sits there and does the work that's the person you want in your team that's the person you want in your four-year institution brandon and let's keep in mind that again don't believe me read read the article <laughs> read the entire research yeah. and make sure that you understand that if you accept that student that student is more likely to graduate it's an amazing point and that's why there were several hundred thousand people who read the article, and I'm sure forwarded it to many of their friends. And now I hope it gets another wave because we just brought it up here and, uh, and pointed so. it to people's attention. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's interesting. I, uh, I One of the articles I wrote just a couple days ago was just trying to go through these mind-numbing uh, mental exercises of all that's going to be required to reopen colleges and schools in the middle of even moderate social distancing policies, right? Like it, it is just, it, it is a, an unbelievably challenging exercise. And, you know, look, uh, we're still uncertain as to how this is gonna evolve. You know, some campuses are considering not opening again until the fall of 21, right? Some are hell bent on, we're gonna open in the fall. We don't know how, but we're gonna do it, gosh darn it. And, you know, mm -hmm. you, you just you think about these things like the the what I wrote was that we we kind of have no choice. Like we we have to both figure out a way to reopen schools and colleges and continue to conduct distance learning and online education because one in and of itself is just going to be insufficient. But what I was reminded of, you know, I, I closed the article by by talking about one of the people who really inspired me 
in 2015, I was at the World Innovation Summit Education. They gave us, you know, the Wise Prize, which is like a half million dollar prize. It's like the Nobel Prize of Education to Dr. Sakina Yakubi. And she built underground homeschools for girls in Afghanistan during the rule of the Taliban when they banned girls going to school. Now, again, put this in a context. We're all, you know, struggling with how do we reopen colleges and how do we do this and how do we do that? And it's like perspective, folks. Like, sure, this is not going to be easy. It is the most, most challenging struggle that I've seen education have to deal with for students, for staff, for faculty, for administrators, everybody. But then you go, wait a minute, right? You know, where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's a student who wants to learn nothing will get in the way of their goals and dreams, right? And so what I say is, let's get over it, right? It's probably not going to be ideal, but where there's education in any form, there's hope. And you see that every day with, with your students. Absolutely. You know, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that it just goes back to what we were discussing and what the research indicates, right? That is that for many years, the higher education system here and even you know companies in their hiring of people for leadership positions, we're looking only one way of demonstrating leadership, or only one way of demonstrating teamwork, or one way of demonstrating intellectual ability. Right? It usually came in the form of a very pre-digested. You know, you attended this particular school, you play the flute. You know, in high school, you play the piano, and you did all of this. And you know, it, it was literally when you, whenever I say, if there is a form and you can check off on something, in many admissions application, um, have that. Like, literally, do you play an instrument? Do you play? You know, the fact is that for our students, if you were to create a form for the community that I serve. It would be more like, do you take care of a sibling? Right. Do you provide support to your parents? Do you work? Where do you work? And all of these other things that really, Brandon, has never stopped them from pursuing their education. Think about that. That no matter what, as in the example you provided in your article, is that whatever we thought of that took away from education as we rebuild the new system under after COVID, that we have to think about that these experiences are valuable and that it doesn't diminish the quality of education. We have to be savvy about how we do it, but let's all now recognize that education can happen in the darkest of places. My own ancestors, my own ancestors were persecuted when they tried to study, when they, and so, or we're forced to learn to read in the dark. And they did it, they did it. And they got accepted to top unit and our leaders. So let's continue to think about adversity and everything that's happening right now. It's just as a road to excellence for them. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think those are inspiring uh, thoughts and words. And, you know, I love it. We've got a few minutes uh, left in our time here. Uh, you know, forecast us a little bit into the future here. What are, what are schools gonna need to do I mean, they're thinking about how do I support students in general, right? But like, let's talk about what they need to do to support community college transfers. Let's talk about what they need to do to support first generation students, right? Like there's all kinds of considerations in this. What, what do you think is going to be critical as we head into the fall, as we potentially persist with some form of distance or online learning, right? Like, you know, getting Wi-Fi from McDonald's. Uh, I mean, you know, great that somebody was resourceful enough to figure that out, but 
there's got to be ways that, that, that schools and the community in general can do more to support students in this process. Just tell us what you would be recommending to school leaders on this front. I think it's going to be important that you can consider the tech divide for many students from low-income backgrounds. That is, you should provide an assessment of each student's um, ability to have both technology, Wi-Fi, and all of those things to be able to continue to, regardless of what happens, whether it is that they go to your campus and say, are sent back, that or you say attend a certain amount of time, that they have access to technology. Do not assume that everybody has the access that exists in a four-year institution or in your own home. That's number one. Um, also, it is important that we consider that the household income as you are evaluating financial aid, that you consider that students, once they leave a, a household, they are likely to be a contributor to that household. And that when you are packaging students, that you recognize that if they're going to be going back and forth or using their household, that there will be greater expenses. And that financial aid is really done on that basis, looking at the full scope of the student. Most importantly, I always say it's really important that universities in their own um, pedagogy and in their own um, analysis of the world, that they are able to keep um, the voices of multiple communities present in their class discussions. This is not business as usual. It's really important for schools to start really integrating um, the analysis of what happens with low-income households, what happens with uh, diverse populations, and that they really consider bringing in those students into these discussions. You cannot run a class as you did before. Um, and finally, Brandon, I think that providing um, healthcare resources uh, uh, and mental health care, uh, resources uh, remotely is going to be important. Teladoc, many of our students, for example, their health insurance is not covered anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that's, those are the things that are important. Yeah, I think, you know, tell, well, I, those are all, I think, excellent recommendations, Nancy. I think that on the telehealth point, you know, that, that's an area where I feel like with the disruption, we might actually find improved ways to support students, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I was reminded of what happened during September 11, you know, the, the companies that had, uh, resources to bring in grief counselors, right, as part of their response. People couldn't physically deploy grief mm. counselors, right, because travel was shut down in the yes. days, you know, right after September 11. And what they did in a pinch, this wasn't authorized at a state level, right, but what they did in a pinch was they opened up group telephonic counseling lines for grief counseling, right? They just, it was just something that they just mm -hmm. did. And it obviously helped in the moment, but then what, what they started to realize quickly thereafter was that like, for example, for men, men are twice as likely to seek mental health counseling if they do it telephonically than if they do it in person. And so you think about, you know, just that interesting nuance. I think with college students, right? Think of the difficulty it is to schedule an appointment, physically go to a building or find transportation to get somewhere to see somebody in person. But if I could schedule either telephonically or, you know, through secure video, uh, you know, platforms, an opportunity to connect. Uh, I just, I think that we're, we're breaking out of that paradigm of, you know, sure, there's still going to be situations where seeing somebody in person is going to be really ideal, but we're breaking through the idea that that's the only way we can access telehealth and support. So like, that's one of my more optimistic reflections on now is that schools embracing telehealth, organizations embracing that, right? There's real promise there. Yes. You know, I have hope for the future. I really do. 
I think that our students, the many students that show up every day online right now are proof that people are ever committed to learning and learning new ways to navigate the world into problem and into solving problems problems that are affecting them and others. So I am hopeful. I, I look at my students in the Kaplan Leadership Program and I can really rest on them to say, we got this. We're going to figure out a way. Well, that's exactly where I would like to end, Nancy. So uh, <laughs> thank you very much for your time today. And uh, it's just been a delight. Thank you to everybody who joined on the live feed. This will be recorded and available. So if you liked it, please pass it along to others. And, uh, and if you want to learn more, uh, just put some chats or comments on my LinkedIn feed, and I'll be happy to uh, send you some more information about the work that Nancy and her team are doing. So thank you so much, Nancy, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Brandon.